Palmer Bear on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmer Bear. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Need help getting your builder's registration? Call Master Builders Victoria today to discuss our member support program. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Good afternoon. Welcome to the program. Great to have your company. Julian DeStoop sitting in for Dwayne Russell, who's still enjoying a well-earned break and looking out the window. Thank goodness we got the cricket in last night. It was a strange old day on the radar. We are just thinking this rain's going to come. You looked at it yesterday and it was... Plenty of rain around, but it avoided Melbourne, which was great news uh, for the English and great news for everyone, really, because it was a pretty good spectacle, uh, the World Cup final. But if you look out your window at the moment, if you're not looking out, it's absolutely teeming down. Of course, if we needed a standby day, it was today and it was going to start this afternoon. But looking out there at the moment, there was no chance uh, that would happen. So the weather gods are definitely smiling on the English. So... T20 World Cup all over. Great tournament, even though Australia didn't come to the party. We saw some amazing things at grounds uh, across the country with the passionate support, particularly of the Indian and Pakistan teams. Great cricket from England. Ben Stokes standing up uh, in the final. So it was a great tournament overall. So that is done. We go on to a one-day series now between Australia and England. Do you think the Aussies would be a good chance for game one? Given uh, be pretty big celebrations uh, in the English camp last night and and maybe for the next uh, couple of days. But now we should be going into the most hyped and most exciting event of the year. There's nothing bigger on the planet than a football World Cup. There's more eyes on a football World Cup than any other event, even bigger than the Olympics. But it, it, it just doesn't feel like there's an appetite for it this time. Now, there's a whole heap of, heap of reasons I think people will point to. I'm not just talking about... Uh, in Australia, even and listening to some of the English football pundits on the weekend, that they're not overly up and about for this tournament. Uh, there's been a couple of Manchester United players today, Bruno Fernandes and Christian Eriksen, saying, you know, that they're clearly not happy with the timing of the World Cup. They're not happy with the venue uh, of the World Cup. So I'm oh, just curious, the people out there, are they looking forward to it? Are you going to be passionate about it? Once it starts, are you going to get right into it? Or is there a heap of factors that are slowing you down in terms of your interest this time, whether it's... The timing of the tournament, you know, normally it's between seasons in Europe and all the leagues around the world. This year, we know all the leagues are up and running. We know Qatar is a very controversial host of the of the World Cup, going right back to when uh, they won the bid. And then and around this Socceroos team, I mean, there's not much expectations uh, on this Socceroos team. Is that quelling your uh, enthusiasm for it as well? You know, since 2006, the Socceroos have it, you know, it's just fallen away slowly. We've never been able to match what we did in 2006, and uh, there's not many expectations going into the tournament this year. So is that a factor, or am I reading this wrong? Is there plenty of excitement out there that uh, the world's best players will be involved? And once again, we'll see some magic moments, and uh, it's very hard to pick a winner of who's going to win this uh, World Cup. There's six or seven teams that are right in the market. So give us a call, one 736 736 It's midday, man, as, as always. You call, you get on for Melbourne Roadside Rescue. Wrong fuel extraction, search up shipcreek.com.au. Just a couple of footy topics uh, as well. Uh, keen to get your thoughts on Saints fans, the review that came out uh, over the weekend. Some some interesting comments. Not, not a lot of it was a surprise. Obviously, when you've replaced your coach, you've got some uh, concerns uh, with your coaching department. You know, the, the review said there was some shortcomings there. There was a 
a lack of capacity for vigorous debate and feedback uh, within the club. Not selling home games. So I'm sure all Saints fans are pleased they're not selling a home game to Cairns next year. They've had a couple of heartbreaking losses up there. We know they sold games uh, to New Zealand and China and rarely got a victory in any of those games. But the, I thought there was interesting wording around a football lens will be put around any causes we consider. So we know the Saints playing, you know, some, some big games in terms of the Pride game against Sydney, the Blue Ribbon game against Hawthorne. They've had Spud's game a couple of times since the, the tragic passing of Danny Frawley. And obviously Maddie's match uh, built around uh, Nick Revolt with the Tigers, you know, with Jack Revolt. So I just... Do you agree with that, Saints fans? Or do you think that's a little bit of a, a cop-out, saying those games are distractions? So interested to get your thoughts there. Any Hawthorne fans that might have logged on for, to the Hawks for change yesterday with Andy Gowes and sort of making his presentation and making his pitch uh, to become the next Hawthorne president? I know he's on with Jared Whateley uh, tomorrow, but he made some pretty interesting, interesting comments. Uh, he said the club had lost respect. The club was in bad shape. He was critical of uh, Jeff Kennett for some of his... Uh, late night tweeting, criticising the Victorian state government. He believes that's left Hawthorne in a $25 million black hole in terms of their funding uh, for the new project out at Dingley, that $15 million worth of fu- funding is now up in the air. Some of those comments have also put off uh, some wealthy benefactors who are going to contribute $10 million. Uh, he says that um, Peter Nank- Nankerville would continue to be Jeff Kennett's proxy uh, as a president, he wasn't happy with the handling of Alistair Clarkson. Uh, he's pledged to spend 100% of the soft cap and also have a full-time general manager of Indigenous Affairs. So if any Hawthorne fans uh, logged on to that yesterday, uh, I'd be interested to get your thoughts. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 Plenty coming through already uh, on the 40 Winks uh, temper. 0433 of course, is the number. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks. Serious about sleep. But before we get to a few calls, give us a call today. We've got plenty of good prizes uh, to give away. Our big show coming up as well. So if, if you were with us last week, a couple of themes we were doing around AFL. We were going back through some old drafts. So we've got 14 days to go now until the 2022 National Draft. So we're going to go back to 2008. Really interesting draft. Uh, that was the year Jack Watts was number one. Nick Natanui uh, was number two. And the Tigers, with their first pick, selected Tyrone Vickery. Up and down career at Richmond, of course, then went on to Hawthorne, retired from the game at age 27. He'd fallen out of love for the game, but he's been playing local footy. He's now coaching local footy. So we'll chat to Tyrone around about 12.40 this afternoon. AFLW, fantastic matches on the weekend. Bizarre match uh, over in Adelaide with the conditions, but it set up two great prelim finals uh, this weekend, of course. Melbourne versus North Melbourne. And on Friday night, it's the... Brisbane Lions versus the defending premiers, the Adelaide Crows. So we'll speak to Lions coach Craig Stasevich uh, just after one o'clock. Great weekend of football uh, locally. The Matildas were sensational on Saturday, beating Sweden 4-0. Huge Sydney derby in the A-League. Uh, some Socceroos on the weekend. Craig Goodwin, Jamie McLaren, Garen Quoll, all scoring, which is good signs ahead of the World Cup. So we'll speak to Andy Harper. Also about Cristiano Ronaldo, who has just blown up at uh, Manchester United as he gets ready to play in his fifth uh, World Cup. BP will be along to talk some tennis. Obviously, a good week for the Australian girls at the Billie Jean King Cup. An extraordinary game in the NFL today between the Vikings and the Bills. So Laurie Horish will also join us from ESPN to talk all things NFL. So but let's get to the phones. Uh, Lockie from Beaconsfield's first up wants to have a chat about the World Cup. G'day, Lockie. Hi, mate. How are you? 
Good, mate. I'm good. Um, all right. So this World Cup, I reckon, will be very, very interesting for the viewers at home. But it might be a bit of an average one for the fans, obviously, with what's going on. But I want you to clip this. I think Portugal or Argentina win. Yes. And Marky is smoky. Jamal Musaria will be the young player of the tournament. And Neymar will be the player of the tournament. So, yeah, it'll be a lot of storylines uh, this World Cup. But for the people over there, I think it'll be... Uh, it'll be very much of a different one with all the drinking and, and things you can and can't do. So, um, yeah, eyes peeled, but it should be good for, for us at home. So Neymar will win player of the tournament, but Brazil won't win the World Cup, according to you, Lockie. No, I, I, yeah, I, don't, I don't think they will. They'll, they'll go deep, but I think Argentina and Portugal could, could be the ones. I think the script is there. They're both at their last World Cup, Messi and Ronaldo, um, and I think if they are both in the final, it'll be the biggest sporting event in the history of past, future, nothing will ever beat it. So I'm hoping for that, and I think it's paying $17 on Sportsbet, so put your money on it. Very nice. Okay, I'll ask you a couple other questions. No, I won't, because you jumped off. I was going to ask you a couple more, get a couple more tips from you about the Socceroos and maybe the English team, but I'm going to give you a prize anyway, Lockie, because your first cab off the rank, a $50 Brick Lane Brewing Voucher, Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale, perfect for all occasions, and the ultimate crowd pleaser drink responsibly, so you can have a couple of drinks while the World Cup is on. Of course, the Socceroos take on France in their opening game, which uh, looks pretty tough on paper, and if uh, Lockie thinks Denmark are a smoky, uh, we're in all sorts of trouble. So uh, it might be tough for the Socceroos. We'll get a bit more on that with Andy Harper later in the show. Bruno from Brunswick's jumped on the line as well, wants to chat World Cup. G'day, Bruno. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. I'd like to firstly say thank you for that lovely introduction about it is the biggest tournament in the world. No doubt. Everyone has to realise that. Sponsors, television, et cetera, et cetera. What I was going to ask you too is that are you guys going to be um, what's it called on radio? You're going to be um, doing the games live, the Australian games. We are. That is correct. That is correct. Uh, and, jo- Jordan Canales will head up the team there. And and also, are you going to be doing many interviews with the guys from the Socceroos also? That's a good question. Uh, we'll try our best. Uh, I'm not sure what the access uh, will be like, but uh, even if we're not doing them ourselves, we'll, we'll take all the audio off the broadcast and, and things like that. How do you feel that the Socceroos are going to go, Bruno? I think the, the French the French one, everyone's saying we might have a chance against France because we've got a, we've got a couple of injuries. And also, I think this is a bit of a different World Cup in the sense of, preparation for all the other teams and etc. Everyone's gone into camp, same time, same station. I think we, I think we might pull a surprise in our first game. Against the French? Surprise in game. Yes, against the French. Because they haven't got um, Bokba, who scored that last yep. goal against Australia. He's a, good play. He's, a, he's a good player, but he's got problems with his knee by the sounds of things. They've got a few injuries. So that's going to make a little bit of difference. They've got a bit more depth than what we have. But I think um, the guys listening to Jamie McLaren a couple of days ago, they sound very determined. Oh, I think no doubt. I think the fact that no one's giving them a chance of getting through the group um, has, has got a determination in there. Um, and the fact they've played 
quite a lot of football in Qatar. I think will help. Uh, a lot of the other countries that are playing in the tournament uh, haven't been there. So if you had to tip a winner, uh, Bruno, our last caller, Lockie from Beaconsfield, likes either Portugal or Argentina to win the World Cup. Who would you be putting your money on? Well, I think probably the Argentinian. I've got a good chance. And also probably um, the, the dark horse is probably the Germans. They always come from nowhere. They're always in, their, in it anyway. Always good in the World Cup. Last question. What's the chance of you guys doing a, an interview with the guy from Roma, Christian? We'd love to. Yeah, the question's been asked. So um, I think the che- well, you never know now. He's not going to the World Cup. And obviously, like every other league, the Serie A is in recess. So we're, we're trying our very best. We had his manager on, or, or his, um, his mentor was on uh, last week. Oh, I can't remember what show it was on, but it was uh, one of the shows uh, he was on. So we'll keep trying our best, Bruno. Thanks for your call. Um, $100 Garmy chicken voucher coming your way. Garmy, the unmissable chicken. Visit garmychicken.com.au for your nearest restaurant. Before we get to the break, Lockie from Beaconsfield's jump back on. Lockie, I haven't finished talking to you yet. I'm cut out, mate. That's all right. I was going to ask you, what, what are your expectations for the Socceroos then? Uh, to be honest, I might be a little bit biased, but I actually think we can get out of the group uh, this time round. Um I think Denmark will top it and France will actually miss. Um, I've heard the previous four say they do have a couple of injuries, which is true. But Australia, we normally match up pretty well against them. I was at the last World Cup and we got a bit more of an attacking flair and we showed that uh, last time out in Russia. But yeah, with this with this squad, I think we can do a little bit more damage and really just, just go all out for it. Um, yeah, so I think we can get out of the group. We'll probably lose the round of 16, but... Yeah, if we can score a, score a goal from not a set piece and open play, that'd be good to watch. And they're on at some good times. I think 9 p.m. is the game against Tunisia. So I think, yeah, like I said before, I think we're in good for a good one if we're at home. Give us a player to what? Give us a player for those that don't follow it as in closely as you do by the sound of it. Give give us a player in this Australian squad that we should be looking out for because I, I think right now the people that, with a casual interest in in soccer in football, they probably don't know a lot of these Socceroos players. Give us one that you think might be a bit more of a household name by the end of this World Cup. Um, definitely Jason Cummings. He's got his nickname as the Cum Dog uh, in the A-League this season. So <laughs> he's a character. He's, he's, Scottish, he's Scottish born and he's, he's come through. And I think I think he's just playing off emotion, really. Um, he's in good form in the A-League and uh, he'll, he'll, play, he'll play through the middle of the park. And I think whether he gets time as a starter or a lot of energy. Um, and then, I mean, are we in the Bills? He's, uh, he's, a, he's normally a good starter and he showed some form for the Socceroos in recent time. And I think off the bench, um, Garang will come on and, and light it up as well. Um, it's, it's sad that Azani wasn't in. Um, he's obviously been in some good form as well. But yeah, I think yeah, it would definitely be exciting this time. And I think we've got high hopes to get out of the group. Beautiful, Lockie. Uh, I like your passion for the tournament and uh, enjoy because um, it, it's, it's a massive event and uh, the best players in the world are there. I just think once it starts... It'll be one like one of the, a lot of those tournaments, even a bit like this T20 World Cup. Not the massive build-up, but once it starts, uh, everyone will get right into it. Let's get to Tim in Brunswick East before we get to the break. G'day, Tim. Hey, Tim, how are you going? Good, Jules. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, yeah, so the World Cup. I think uh, for a lot of football purists out there, and I'm certainly around, Game football purist. Uh, it's it's a bit of um, bittersweet because back in 2010 when it was announced that Qatar were going to get the World Cup, 
and Australia were bidding for it and we got kicked out in the first round of bidding, we all just knew it was on the nose. And Qatar aren't a traditional sporting country, irrespective of a football country. Uh, we all knew there was the, you know, the fixes in, there was graft, and it's come out to light that, yes, it has happened. But also, I think, what getting closer and closer and closer and with the human rights record that uh, Qatar has, and I guess, you know, a lot of Middle Eastern countries, um, that those cultures, you know, with Iran at the moment, what's happening over there, and a lot of people saying that Iran shouldn't be playing in the World Cup, with the LGBT questions mm-hmm. um, raging, and I think it'll... Um, I, think, I think there will be a lot of incidences with, you know, flags and so forth, and it's just, it's just going to show... It's just going to be about how Qatar reacts to it. It's, it there, there's got to be a reaction. Or there's, there's got to be some sort of demonstration, but it's all going to come down to how Qatar and the Qatari officials react to it. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed because it takes away from the football. Well, that's right. Yeah, that's true. And, and you've seen some um, comments from some of the, you know, the cup organisers. They're almost... You know, imploring players and, and you know just speak about the football. Don't talk about anything else, uh, which is interesting. And I don't think that's going to happen. I think as we sort of saw before, there's there's plenty of players that have already spoken out. We saw the Socceroos do their big video a couple of weeks ago. So I, I don't think they can tell people to to not talk about other issues uh, while they're at the World Cup. So, yeah, it will be very interesting. Uh, Tim, thanks so much uh, for your call. A mystery craft beer bundle. Thanks to Hairy Dog coming your way. The largest range of alcohol online delivered. HairyDog.com. It's the Midday Madness. You call you get on, of course, for Melbourne Roadside Rescue. Put the wrong fuel in your car. Visit upshipcreek.com.au. Give us a call on that Werribee Kia open line. Awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. Master Builders Victoria members get access to a wide range of expert advice and support services. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Yeah, he's fitted in really well. Um, you know, we've got quite a few Australians with us uh, in this tournament, but um, you know, he's led the coaching staff fantastically well. He gives the players uh, great freedom um, and allows us to go out and, and trust ourselves. That was Josh Butler, England captain, discussing the influence of Matthew Mott, the white ball coach for England. As he mentioned there, a couple of other Aussies in the setup, David Saker and Mike Hussey. Of course, we've heard a lot from Matthew Hayden uh, in the Pakistan uh, setup in this tournament as well. So the Aussies doing some good jobs uh, in coaching other countries, which is a little bit disappointing. But Matthew Mott, what is... What a story. Uh, last two T20 finals at the MCG, he has coached the winning team. One, the Australian women. The other one, the English men. So he is a very, very good coach. And unfortunately, he's doing good work uh, for the English right now. Read through uh, some 40 Wings tempers in a sec. A lot around the World Cup. But let's get to Mike in Geelong, who I think wants to talk some round ball game as well. G'day, Mike. Oh, hey, Jules. How are you going? I'm well, mate. How are you? Good. Hey, I just want to touch on um, the girls uh, beating the Swedes on the weekend in the soccer and how big that actually really is to beat a top two team in the world. And I was trying to sort of rack my brain about um, putting it into context, but the last one I could sort of think of when the blokes won against England about 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah so I remember that. Even though it's a friendly, it's, it's huge. It's, yeah, it's really good for them for the future. Yeah, it was a great 
game. It was and twenty two thousand at Amy Park. And look, you're right. Look, Sweden didn't have their best team in. They had a very good team though, as you say. They're number two in the world, and they've just been going the Matildas. There's been a, lot, a bit of criticism around the team, a bit of criticism criticism around the manager Tony Gustafsson. So we'll we'll talk to Andy Harper about that later. But uh, it was a fantastic. Uh, performance, uh, particularly that second half where they were just uh, so do- dominant, four nil over the world number two. Instant, everyone's got their thought. What did you watch on on Saturday afternoon? Because last week there was a little bit of talk, a little bit of disappointment that the AFLW uh, semi-finals had been fixtured against the Matilda. So, w- what did you watch on Saturday? I-, I found myself flicking between North Melbourne and Richmond uh, and the Matildas. Now, both fantastically high. Um, quality matches. Uh, the, the North Melbourne Richmond game was fantastic at Punt Road, beautiful conditions, uh, and similar across at uh, Amy Park. So it was hard to decide which one to watch. So any thoughts on what you did watch? Did you flick or did you choose one or the other? Uh, give us a call on the Werribee Kia open line award of National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. Mike, uh, thanks so much for your call. Just a few off the 40 Winks uh, temper. And we're going to mention this later, but uh, good from Clint to get it. Up early. Hi, Jules. I think the media... Uh, sorry, no, that's not the one. Josh Giddy had a triple-double in New York today. Only the second ever player to have triple-doubles in his first two games at Madison Square Garden. He's in pretty good company. The other one is one of the all-time greats in Wilt Chamberlain. So 24 points, 12 assists, and 10 rebounds for Josh Giddy in a 145-135 to 135 win over the Knicks. Uh, as we said, Wilt Chamberlain, the only other player to score a triple-double in his first two matches at Madison Square Garden. This one about the uh, World Cup. I think the media are driving the negativity for the World Cup. I'll be cheering on the Socceroos and watching all the big matches. A uh, bit of a different thought here is the Socceroo Soccer World Cup sponsored by Harmy Norman. I've got absolutely no interest. This is a very uh, AFL-centric tweet. Bring on the national and rookie drafts. Another one here, so excited for Garang Qual. And if you saw his second goal yesterday uh, for the Central Coast Mariners, absolutely stunning strike. He is a, a talent. Just interesting to see how much uh, game time he will get uh, at the World Cup. Uh, Mike here says, Don't, do, doesn't, does anyone even know who's in the Aussie side? Uh, no household names. Couldn't care less about the World Cup. Most corrupt run tournament there's ever been. A uh, couple here on the cricket. So many Aussie coaches were involved with England and Pakistan. Your thoughts? Well, it's becoming a worldwide trend that the coaches move around. And um, well done for England for securing... A couple of our very best, David Saker, so experienced in in short form cricket, and and we know what Matthew Mott's done with the Australian team. So I guess it begs the question now: Is it about time Australia did split the coaching up between white ball cricket uh, and Test cricket? It seems to work really well for English in the white ball form of the game, even though maybe early days their Test form did suffer uh, a little bit. Uh, Jules, the Aussies got beaten in the Billie Jean King Cup, so that's not a good effort. Yeah, it was a good effort to make the final. Uh, beaten by Switzerland, uh, Storm Sanders had an amazing week. Uh, so we'll speak to Brett Phillips about that a little later. And just one here on the Saints. Uh, never any talk about the Saints being 10 to $12 million in debt. If it was North, they would be getting hammered in the media, uh, says Big Root. Yeah, we know that the Saints certainly rely on some AFL funding. And, and therefore, it's a, it's a biggish call for them to give up selling a home game, which brings over half a million dollars in uh, per season. But I think from a pure football uh, point of view. Uh, St Kilda fans are pretty happy with that. Uh, plenty more coming up after the break. Ty Vickery not too far away as we look back to the 2008 National Draft. But let's get the latest now from the newsroom.
A-Rod, he's got his... Just to paint the picture for you at home, if you didn't already know, he's a mad Hawthorne fan and his other sporting passion is Arsenal. So he's got one of the old away yellow kits on. He's got the scarf and he's very happy, as he should be, because Arsenal are five points clear at the top of the English Premier League table. If you didn't see the results uh, on the weekend, (laughs) Brentford stunned Man City. Arsenal beat Wolves, and therefore they'll be top at Christmas because we don't play any English Premier League now until Boxing Day. So that is why he is playing that dreadful, dreadful song uh, out of the news. Uh, Thank you, April. You didn't deserve your lovely news break to be finished uh, like that. Interesting story, the first story in the news there, if you're just catching up uh, about, uh, I'll just read it to you if you haven't caught up on the news. The Victorian Police Sporting Integrity Intelligent Unit investigation relates to the release of voting tallies in the AFL's most prestigious award during the 2002 season. So four men have been arrested. And probably the the most interesting part of the story is, this is coming from the Herald Sun, it's believed an AFL umpire is under scrutiny as part of the probe. Uh, the statement went on to say, at this stage, police have no information to suggest that the outcome of the votes were impacted as the allegations relate solely to the distribution of information. The investigation is being run with the AFL and Sport Integrity Australia. Warrants are being carried out today at Glenroy, Kilsyth, Oak Park, Druin, Craigieburn and Doreen. So that's a very interesting story to see how that uh, one develops, and particularly if it is true that an AFL umpire is under scrutiny as part of the probe. So we'll cl- follow that one closely. Speaking of AFL, if you joined us on Afternoons uh, last week, uh, we were counting down the top 22 moments in AFL since 2000. So the idea came off the back of a new book from Mark Beretta, who's counted down the top 20 Australian sporting moments since 2000. So we did 22 through to 17 on Wednesday, uh, so we'll do 16 to 11 uh, later on in the show. So included in uh, those ones in 22 to 17 was Carmichael Hunt's winning goal after the siren. There was the malaise between Hawthorne and Essendon, West Coast and Fremantle. Gary Moorcroft's mark, Mark Williams uh, pulling the tie up on his neck and saying Alan Scott uh, was wrong and Chris Judd's uh, five goals, his breakout game in 2003 against the Brisbane Lions. So we'll count down 16 to 11 later on in the show. After the break, we're going to also go back in time. We're going back 14 years to 2008, the national draft that year. So it was Jack Watts, number one, Nick Nat Anui, number two, and a pick eight, the Tigers selected Tyrone Vickery, up and down career, but it seems like he's found his love for the sport again, uh, playing some local footy and coaching some local footy. Uh, We'll chat to him after the break here on Afternoons. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale, brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing. Drink responsibly. Access to the best in construction industry training. Call Master Builders Victoria today. Afternoons on SEN. Welcome back to the show. Julian DeStoop sitting in for Dwayne Russell. So 14 days to go to the 2022 AFL National Draft. So we're going back 14 years today to the 2008 National Draft. Uh, Jack Watts pick one. Nick Natanui pick two. Stephen Hill pick three. Uh, some of the other notables in that draft. Michael Hurley pick five. Daniel Rich still playing pick seven. Jack Zebel still playing pick nine. Phil Davis still playing pick ten. Still side bottom still playing pick 11. Uh, other premiership players out of that draft, Ryan Schoenmakers, Luke Shuey, Jack Redden, Jordan Ruffhead, Liam Shields, Lee Brown. It also included Rory Sloan, pick 44, Michael Walters, pick 53, Dan Hanabry, pick 30, Dane Beams, 29. 
Uh, David Zarakis, 23. Hayden Ballantyne, 21. So a pretty strong draft uh, when you look back on it. The Tigers that year had pick eight, and they selected our next guest, Tyrone Vickery. He's been good enough to join us to, uh, to go back down memory lane this afternoon. G'day, Ty. Hey, mate. How you going? Very good. Uh, great to catch up. Before we go back uh, to your memories of the draft and, and having a look back through your AFL career, where's your footy journey taken you on since? Um, so probably when I finished with AFL, probably took, yeah, two, three years off, wasn't really interested and just, yeah, wanted a break from it all and, yeah, never really envisioned playing and then sort of fell into a bit of a coaching role at Oakley Chargers and, and sort of got a bit more passion back for it and, yeah, back playing now just local footy just down at Springvale with a few mates. Um, yeah, so that's, that's where it sort of led me at this point. Are you doing some coaching there as well? Uh, at Springvale, yeah, I try and help out. Nothing in the official capacity, but uh, yeah, just try and try and help out where I can and, and support the coaches as best I can. How, how have you found it back playing at the local level? Um, yeah, it's been. Oh, look, it's you know, it is really pure football. Everyone's there for the uh, you know for the love of it, for the love of the community, you know, love of the sport and that. So it's it's been a really nice change. You know, it's not obviously not the pressure that that comes with high levels, um, but yeah, it's. Uh, certainly been it is different football in many ways and uh and that but it's it's really fun you know it's it's a great way to to even just socialize with for twice a week at training and that sort of thing I've, I've really thrived on well as you said you retired in 2017 just 27 years of age it, your passion for the game had gone so in those sort of two or three years following before as you said you, you got involved with the charges and and the love came back did did you watch much footy did you just stay away from footy full stop how did you actually do it um, I probably the last game I probably watched was the Richmond Richmond Granny just because obviously I had so many mates playing and and that sort of thing and then yeah then I basically went and travelled overseas for a couple of years um, with my wife and that was it yeah I didn't really keep up with any football didn't really yeah didn't really watch any or, or keep up to date with anything I didn't yeah I just sort of didn't really have an interest for those two two to three years. How'd you feel when the Tigers won that flag in obviously they went on to nineteen and twenty but how'd how'd you feel when they won the flag in seventeen? Oh, just it was it was just so happy for the guys. Like you know, you, there were a lot of guys there. I played my full eight years that I played at Richmond with, and you know, you, there was a lot of tough times there. And just to see them, and you know, being able to see how how hard they worked, you know, right from the age of twenty right up to you know twenty six when they're winning it was um yeah, it was really special. It was it was just such a such a great occasion to watch. Absolutely. So let's go back to two thousand eight. We're speaking to Ty Vickery, pick eight for the Tigers in the two thousand and eight national draft year. Your last couple of years before being drafted were interesting. You had the, the, the serious knee injury and then you, you bounced back in your, in your top age year, finished All-Australian. What, what are your memories of the build-up to the draft and, and what your expectations were going into the night? Um, oh, look, it was, a, it was a pretty hectic time, you know. So we, you know, we used to have draft camp up at the AIS in Canberra and that was obviously just a massive occasion and everyone flying in from all over the country and, you know, you... You clock that in, you get all your all your interviews done with clubs and then it keeps going and then you sort of try and knuckle down and get your exams done. And the, sort of my timing was that three days after my last exam or two days was when the draft was. So I, I really had no time to really, you know, enjoy and just relax or anything. It just sort of went one to the other and then two days later, you're day one at your, at your club. So I just remember it being just a really hectic time, but it's, it's it was so exciting, you know, like you're, you don't know where you're going to go. You don't know who else is going to go to the same club. You don't know where your mates are going to go. It was, um, 
yeah, it was just a it was a re- just a really special time for him, yeah, for an eighteen year old. Did you did you think it was going to be Richmond? Was Richmond high on the radar before the draft and talking to you, or what? Where were you think you were heading when you were going into draft night? Um, yeah, by draft time, I think it was it was sounding like unless there was a real curveball, but that was how it was sort of going to fall. Um, I think some drafts probably become really predictable for the top 10, uh, you know, a couple of days out and then others just there are, there's genuine, you know, genuine intrigue and, and no one quite knows. Um, but mine was sort of, yeah, I think from memory, you know, within the last week, it was looking like it was, it was really going to, it was going to go that way just as much as anything, because there was, you know, there's no trading picks on the night or anything like that. So it would sort of, it was all very settled. What are your memories of your first pre-season at, at Tigerland, uh, Ty? Because it was the pre-season where Ben Cousins came to the club. There was so much hype and so much interest around uh, how Ben was going to go and the fact that Richmond were giving you another chance. What are your memories of that first summer? Yeah, it was it was a really, you know, it was a, it was a list that was primed to, you know, age-wise to play finals. I think, you know, there was probably eight guys over 30 years old. There was you know, Matthew Richardson, Kane Johnson, Troy Simmons, like, a lot of Nathan Brown, a lot of these guys, Joel Bowden, they were sort of, they were on their, well, what ended up being their last year. But um, yeah, it was, so it was really high expectations and you sort of come in and Richmond had traded away a few of the picks. So there was only myself and one other young young guy in the national draft and a couple other rookies. So it was sort of, you know, from the get-go, it was, it was really, it was really serious training to win and, and that sort of thing with, you know, with a lot of really, you know, club champions that were, were obviously right at the end. Um, and then you know it sort of didn't didn't pan out the way the way it sort of went you know with the coach sort of getting fired after probably eight rounds and yeah and it was it was really relentless with the media I just remember thinking it was just normal that they were at the front gate every day you know like because it was Ben Cousins or then onto you know multiple losses and coach sackings and that sort of thing so yeah it was um you just you don't sort of realise what's normal and what's not when you're that age you just walk in and you know no one wants to talk to me so it didn't you know it didn't affect my life no. No cameraman was asking me anything, but um, yeah, it was just, I just thought it was just a crazy, crazy world, but that's what Ben Cousins was. Like he was sort of probably hard for people to comprehend now who didn't see him when he was going, but just, just how big he was, you know, he's arguably bigger than any player right now who's playing, you know, bigger than Dustin Martin in his peak and all that sort of thing. It was just, um, yeah, he was rock star status. Yeah, he was a rock star. Uh, Jaden Post was the other Tiger that was recruited with you uh, in that national draft. Like like all big guys, Ty, it, take, it takes a while to build up the body and get comfortable at senior level. Was it around about the 2013 season when you, you, you thought you had your breakthrough and were starting to feel comfortable playing senior footy? Um, yes, obviously, you know, we played a few games in the back end of, the fir- of my first season and then second one played, played a few more and, and it was, it was a tough role because it was back before the sub rule, initial sub rule came in. And so you played two Ruckman and it was seven minutes on, seven minutes off. And it was, um, you know, I was just trying to find my feet there and, and probably really struggling, but I mean, I was still quite young. And then the sub rule came, it comes in the initial one with the green vest, um, three on the bench. Um, and that sort of forced me to play forward and second ruck. And, and that really helped me. I was, you know, probably more of a, you know, turned into more of a natural forward than even though I hadn't really played it before. Um, and then, yeah, sort of went from there. And, you know, after a few seasons and gets a bit easier and you've got, you know, you're learning off really good players like sort of, you know, Jack Rewalt and they brought in Brad Miller as sort of a veteran as well to, to help guide us. Um, yeah. And probably at the age of 23, you start really feeling comfortable and you're, you're much more about the team's performance. Initially, in the first few years, it's, it's really selfishly about you. You're, you're really concerned about your own performance, getting kicks and stats and that sort of thing. 
and you know, like you sort of transition into really buying into playing your role and what's best for the team once you, you know, once you become comfortable in your own skin, I think. How do you look back on your AFL career, Ty? You, you sort of mentioned 2009, you know, there's cameras everywhere and, but it was okay for you because no one was interested in speaking to you at that stage, but your career was, it was heavily scrutinized for the good and the bad now that you've been away from it for quite some time. How do you look back on your AFL journey? Um, yeah, I mean, look, it, as you said, it, it probably was, it was pretty heavily scrutinized. You know, I didn't, help myself with a few things, you know, those tribunal appearances, things like that. Um, look, at the end of the day, I reflect that, you know, I know I, at times I played some really good footy in a, in a really good Richmond Richmond team. You know, we finished, I think, fifth twice and, you know, really close to fourth as well. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I certainly look back with, you know, you look back with no regrets knowing that in the moment, you you know, you did your best and you, and you did what you thought was right. And just finally, before I let you go, you, what's your role at local footy? You're just the big bear in the square and just kick it up high to you. You're spending some time in the ruck. How's the, bo- <laughs> how's the body? Um, the body's actually not too bad. I think the sort of four years away from football really helped. Um, so, I mean, I don't. I try and get up and, gra- up and down the ground a little bit and, and spend a little bit of time in the ruck. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just a, it is a... As I said, it's just a different game, you know. It's you can, if you really want to do, just sort of stay 30 meters out and not really run and that sort of thing. Which, as I said, was really, really hard for me to get used to that there were play that there were players like that. And yeah, so it was. I, I play a bit of a mix, but at the end of the day, it's just more about fun and the most fun you can have at local footy. I think is winning. So I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty flexible. I just enjoy, you know, enjoy playing with the teammates and, and giving off a few goals to them and, and seeing the enjoyment they get from it. Well, Ty, great to catch up. It was, a, it was an excellent career. It was, a, you know, you had plenty, plenty of time at uh, Richmond, played in some finals as well, but uh, it's great to hear you loving footy again. Now, thanks so much for taking a call this afternoon. No, thanks, Julian. Great to chat to Ty Vickery. Pick eight in the 2008 National Draft. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale, brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing. Drink responsibly. Access to the best in construction industry training. Call Master Builders Victoria today. Afternoons on SEN. Welcome back to the show and welcome, if you're just joining us, Julian DeStoop sitting in for Dwayne Russell. We're going to speak to Brisbane Lions AFLW coach Craig Stasevich in a second. But before that, Rob from Tarnit's jumped on the Werribee Kia open line. G'day, Rob. Oh, hi, Julian. How are you going? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, very well, thanks. Um, just a quick question. Do you know what time the uh, World Cup games will be on? Like, is it going to be, like, during the middle of the night, some weird hour like that, or...? Uh, there's a mix. We've got one game at 9pm. I'm pretty sure that's the Tunisian game, which is our middle game. I'll get those times for you for the Socceroos games uh, in a second. But yeah, it's a mix. A couple are in the middle of the night and uh, one is right in prime time. So it is a bit of a mix given the time difference uh, in Qatar. But I'll bring those times for you uh, very shortly. Thanks for your call, Rob. Uh, let's get our attention to AFLW prelim finals this weekend. An amazing weekend of semifinals, really. Beautiful conditions, high scoring game at Punt Road between North Melbourne and Richmond. And then all sorts of conditions were thrown at Adelaide and Collingwood over at Unley Oval in South Australia. The Crows got the job done. Now they play Brisbane Friday night, 7.40pm at Metricon Stadium. The coach of the Lions, Craig Stasevich, has been good enough to join us this afternoon. G'day, Craig. Hi, Julian. What do you think watching on the other day, watching uh, your now opponent, the Crows, playing Collingwood? There was uh, several coaching challenges uh, for both the coaches involved. What do you think watching that game, first of all? 
Uh, the Adelaide Collingwood one yeah, you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, we've, we've actually been through that ourselves. We had a game, our very first game, actually in season one against Melbourne, out of Casey. We had a, a lightning strike and had to go off and come back on. It's it's not ideal, um, but um, turned out okay for us that day. We we end up getting the result. But yeah, the going on and off and you know warming down and warming up and getting people in the right headspace that's that's challenging how tough is that i mean the warming up the physical part of it's one thing but just making sure everyone as you say is in the right headspace getting ready to go back on the ground whenever that is yeah it is difficult um and i do remember that day we had we had a fair breeze helping us and then when the storm came through uh, it swung around and went to the other end so you know you you dip out on uh, if you're playing at a ground that's wind affected and you don't get your full use of um, the elements, then um, you know you're a little bit peeved with that. But um, fortunately, it all turned out okay. But um, yeah, that, that, uh, thinking back, the players were round one, so it was just you know, round one, season one, so they were just excited to play, regardless of the circumstances. But I can imagine um, both Steve and Doc on the weekend had had their work cut out to um, you know just keep people locked into what the task was. So the Crows got through in the end. They play you in the prelim final Friday night. So worked out well for you. Won the qualifying final against Richmond, which gives you the week off. How, what did you sort of do in that week off to, to make sure the girls will be nice and sharp come Friday night? Uh, we had a pretty normal training week, actually. Um, Friday afternoon, we had um, a decent hit out of match practice, which, which went down pretty well. Got through unscathed and got some uh, you know match-type intensity work into into the group, um, and then they'll be back on deck this afternoon for um, you know in preparation for Friday. So uh, it was a normal normal week for us, um, all you know, um, without the um, without the um, responsibility of playing an opposition. In review, how did you rate the team's performance against Richmond in that first final? Uh, pretty good up until um, maybe just a little bit of a, a foot off the accelerator a bit in the last quarter, and the Oppo got a chance to score. Um, in the last quarter, but um, up until that point, up until three-quarter time, we were, we were pretty solid. It was um, it was a pretty good performance against a team that um, have improved greatly. Um, pretty dangerous. Unfortunately, they didn't. Uh, they probably um, didn't bring their best game on on Saturday against the against the Roos. North were North were exceptional though. Um, but uh, yeah, they're they're a team that are going to have to be watched in the next couple of years because they're on the rise. You've played the Crows once already this season, defeated them by 22 points up at Metricon Stadium in, in, in round eight. How much did you learn? How much do you take out of that performance going into Friday night? Yeah, there are a lot of things there that we spoke about prior to the game and, and, and quite a few of them worked for us. Um, so, again, a little bit of a, a focus in on what we do and what they do and how we can you know, exploit the opposition. So that, that, that's, that's our normal preparation anyway. But... Um, yeah, there's some there's some things that have changed since that game, and we're, that was over a month ago now that we played them. But um, yeah, we're back back on a back on a surface that we we really like and prefer. So it's um, it suits our game style. Uh, we know we're up against a really tough opposition who'll get their captain back this week more than likely. So um, it's it's going to be a huge challenge, and you know they're obviously a team that's played in plenty of grand finals, so they'll be uh, they'll be itching to to uh, take it up to us, that's for sure. You mentioned Chelsea Randall there. We're speaking to Craig Stasovich, coach of the Brisbane Lions AFLW side, ahead of the prelim against Adelaide on Friday night at Metricon Stadium. Did you feel for Chelsea 
last week how that all played out. And, you know, we, we know she missed the grand final last year through concussion and then unfortunately had to sit it out again on the weekend. I absolutely. She's one of the most admired players in the competition for the way she goes about it. So um, you just you just love watching her play, and the, the the effort and intensity she brings to every contest is 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 unbelievable. So um, they'll be yeah, they'll be definitely um, inspired to have her back. That's for sure. She's she's that type of player that that drags others with her. So um, we've got to be on guard to make sure she doesn't have too big an influence. You mentioned you're back on a surface this week that you love at Metricon Stadium. I know it's all about this week, but if you do get through, do you have any idea where your grand final will be played? I haven't, and I'm not really giving a lot of thought, to be honest. I know there's a lot of a lot of talk around it, but um, for us, it's it can be a bit detrimental to to start drifting ahead. We've we've got a a huge challenge this weekend, so whatever's whatever's dished up, we'll we'll cope with. Um, but um, I, I guess it's a talking point because we have finished number one seed, so that sort of you know gives a little bit of impetus to the argument as to where it should be. But from a coaching perspective, I, I'm, I'm not really giving it much thought to be honest. I've, I've, we've got enough on our plate for this weekend. In the future, though, do you think we sort of need these venues locked away a bit earlier, so not you know a week and a half out from the grand final, we still don't know where potentially it's going to be played. I think it's hard because we've we've flipped seasons. We're into a, a time of the year that we love playing now in spring. Um, it's it's you know hugely beneficial for the players not to get out there in February, March, and run around in the in the steaming hot sun. So it's there's been a huge um, you know improvement from that point of view. But the trade-off was we we're going to run into cricket season and, and footy and cricket often shared venues. So. That's just um, that's just part of it, unfortunately. So yeah, it's, it it all happened. The planning for this year all happened pretty quickly, but that was also unavoidable. Um, and we've just got to you know deal with it as as we roll for this season. And then then I think once we get into the groove of spring being the normal time, then I think we'll more than likely um, have much better plans going forward. How are the girls going? I heard uh, Ebony Marinoff this morning with uh, Jared Waitley saying it. It feels like because there's been two seasons in the one year that it, it feels like they've sort of been playing footy all year. Physically, how are the girls sort of holding up uh, with a couple of weeks, hopefully for your sake, to go? I think they've been pretty good, actually. There's, there was a you know a three or four-month um, gap. Um, well, there was at least three months away from training in the middle there, formal training. So uh, the gap was the gap was pretty good. Um, and then getting back into... And that, they would normally feel that part of the year playing state league anyway. So um, to play, you know, 20, 25 games in a season is not unusual, albeit that we haven't done it at AFLW Tempo before. But, um, yeah, that aspect of, um, you know, getting as many games in as we have this year, you you probably could say it's been the never-ending year, but it also felt like there was a a big gap in the middle there too. So I I haven't felt that at all in in, in the second season this year that people have, felt jaded or tired they've, they've, they've sort of been if anything more energetic and and uh, particularly now coming into the point again they're, they're really excited so the brisbane lions aflw coach craig Starsevich. the lions host the crows friday night at metricon stadium and as we know it's melbourne v north melbourne uh, in the other prelim at icon park just last week a few of the comments around the game you know there's a lot of talk and a lot of I guess a bit of disappointment that North Melbourne and Richmond played at Punt Road. There was a lot of debate about who was 
you know, a bit unlucky to miss uh, the All-Australian squad. Is, do you think that's, this is a healthy sign for AFLW that these issues that quite often get people riled up when it comes to the, the men's competition are starting to get people riled up about AFLW as well? Absolutely. The, um, the analysis of our competition is sometimes not as deep as it needs to be. So, um, and, and you could say in the men's comp, it's too deep. <laughs> so sometimes, sometimes they go nuts with uh, analysis and, and look too hard. But um, in our comp, for, for any, any talk around what's right, how we can improve, how we can get better, uh, both from a playing sense and a, and a fixturing in an organisational sense, I think is, is beneficial for all of us going forward. So, yeah, bring it on. The more, the more discussion around that, the better, I think. Well, just on that, was uh, Emily Bates a tad unlucky to miss out on the squad? Oh, probably. But, I mean, if you, if you look at her whole year, as, as we were talking about there before, her 25 games this year have been pretty good. So, and, you know, the depth of midfield are now... Um, in the AFLW competition means that it's bloody hard to crack into the All-Australian squad, let alone win the league BNF. So um, Emily had a, 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 a breakout year where she probably elevated herself ahead of our other middies earlier this year. But did she has she sort of come back to the pack a bit or have the others caught up? I don't, I don't know. So I know I think in our group, I think we've had a lift in others around her, which has probably meant that she hasn't stood out as much. So I don't know. There's... There's all sorts of debates around that. But one thing I know is that our players are pretty keen on team success. So, um, you know, it's not a bad mindset to be in too. 100%. For someone that's been involved in the women's game for so long, how how would you analyse the first season, you know, playing at this time of the year, 18 teams in the competition? Is it Has it played out as you expected? You know, we saw a couple of big improvers this year in Geelong and Richmond really elevate themselves on the ladder. How, how have you seen how it all has all played out? I think it's been good, actually. For, for the first year with 18, 18 teams in the comp, and you know we've got 540 contracted um, professional players, which is the more than any other female sport in, in Australia. So we've done that in six years or seven seasons. So it's a remarkable effort. Um, and I think the, the way we're able to equalise the competition this year by basically fixturing the better teams from previous years against each other more often and having the expansion teams play each other more often. I think that's actually worked out reasonably well to equalise things. Uh, and then you've got your bolters. You've, you've got people that have improved, like your Geelong and Richmond's and others. So um, I think now's the settling time and not too much more intervention around equalisation other than just organically let all the mechanisms that are in place now settle for a little while and, and watch those teams grow and improve and climb their way up the ladder. So I, I think this year has been a huge success given the fact that we've brought in uh, four new teams and, you know, we've, we've been able to cram another season into an already busy year. And just finally, how do you go at this time of the year, Craig? Your finals time, you know, prelim finals time. Are you a bit more edgy at this time of the year or, or pretty relaxed heading into such a big game? Yeah, I don't think it matters how many times you've done it before, Julian, but um, it's, it's always nerve-wracking and always edgy so um, you know my job is to not let that uh, creep into the playing group but you know it's 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 uh, you know what is it the duck on top of the water the legs are (laughs) going furiously underneath and I'm trying to you know um, uh, display some sort of a calm exterior but um, it you wouldn't be human if it wasn't um, it's finals time everyone's a bit edgy everyone's a bit um, nervous about the outcomes but 
Um, it's enjoyable to be here, um, and it's you know obviously a privilege to be at this this end of the year. So that's not lost either. Well, it's been a wonderful season so far, Craig. Top of the ladder, six wins in a row, heading into a home prelim against the Crows. Uh, thanks so much for your time this afternoon, and uh, good luck come Friday night. Thanks, Julian. Great to chat to Craig Stars, which has been a, a wonderful, not only a wonderful coach, but a wonderful ambassador uh, for the AFLW. Uh, just for the fans up there, tickets are $10 for adults. Kids under 18 are free. Uh, tickets on sale from 2 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time for members and 4 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time for general public today at lions.com.au forward slash tickets if you want to get in and watch that big prelim between Brisbane and Adelaide on Friday night, 6.40 p.m. local time, 7.40 p.m. Uh, Melbourne time. That game gets underway. Okay, let's get another breakaway in afternoons now. We're going to return to our countdown from last week, uh, the top Footy moments since 2000. We're counting down from 22. Last week, we did 22 down to 17. Today, we're going to do 16 down to 11. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale. Brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing. Drink responsibly. Access to the best in construction industry training. Call Master Builders Victoria today. Afternoons on SEN. Still plenty more coming up on Afternoons. Laurie Horace will join us from ESPN very shortly. Big morning of NFL and it continues on at the moment. The game between the Chargers and the San Francisco 49ers. Andy Harper will ch- chat some football and Brett Phillips will chat some tennis. Uh, we had a caller before, Rob from Tarnit, I think it was, uh, asking what time the Australian games are on uh, during the World Cup. So our first game is Wednesday the 23rd of November against France right in the middle of the night. Three o'clock, three days later, perfect timing on a Saturday night, 6 p.m. We are playing against Tunisia and then against Denmark in our final game on the 30th will be 11 p.m. So all over the shop there. But if you want to watch the first game against France and the first game is so important in a World Cup for any team, you'll have to get up in the middle of the night. Let's get back to our countdown, the best 22 moments in football since 2000. So we went through 17 to 22 uh, last week, we'll go 16-11 today. So just a reminder of what 17-22 to 22 were. 17 was Mark Williams grabbing the tie and telling Alan Scott he was wrong after the 2004 Premiership. Uh, two Malays that set up uh, and re-energised some rivalries. Uh, 04, Essendon, Hawthorne, 2000, Fremantle, West Coast. 19 was Gary Moorcross, Mark, against the Bulldogs at in 2001 at Docklands. Also at Docklands, number 20, Chris Grant's winning goal to end the Bombers. 20-game winning streak at the start of the 2000 season. Chris Judd's five goals and a half against the all-conquering Lions in 2003 was number 21. And number 22 was Carmichael Hunt's winning goal against the Tigers after the siren up in Cairns uh, in 2012. Okay, so let's start with number 16. It is a moment no Demon fans will ever forget. Petrarca! Christian Petrarca! Rises to the moment. He's dribbled one from the pocket. Finally up to Petrarca out the front to Oliver. Links it up with Sparrow from 50 to the teeth of goal. And through! Still 25 seconds to go. That's again a trademark demon release. Jackson Oliver! (laughs) Oh, Hutto nearly lost the voice then. So three goals in 90 seconds at the end of the third quarter of the 2021 Grand final, all those were years of hurt and, you know, wooden spoons and 
losing a couple of grand finals, all the pain from 64 just went away. 19 points down. You've got to remember, 19 points down in that third quarter of the Demons. But that little blitz just said, no, they're going to win it this year. This is destiny for the Demons. We know they kicked on in the last quarter and won by more than 10 goals. So that just... Power surge of footy from the D's comes in at number 16. It was sort of the standout moment from that grand final, and they finally broke the Norm Smith curse, you could say, from 1964. Okay, number 15 is uh, some very... Speaking about just getting a rivalry up and going, these comments from Jeff Kennett certainly did that. When they coordinate together, they're almost unbeatable. What they don't have, I don't think is the quality of some of our players, but they don't have the psychological drive that we have. We've beaten Geelong when it matters. So that was Jeff Kennett. Uh, start of 2009, he was on the Offsiders program on the ABC. So, of course, Hawthorne upset Geelong, one of the great modern-day upsets in a grand final in 2008, and Jeff went on to make those comments. The Cats went on to win the next 12. But if you're a Hawthorne fan, you can argue that the Hawks still get it done in the big games because the one where they broke the curse was the 2013 prelim final. So the Hawks eventually broke it, but it was, and they were just amazing games, as we know. There were so many close games, those Easter Monday games, the Tom Hawkins goal after the siren uh, in 2012. So the rivalry was unforgettable between Hawthorne and Geelong in that time, but it was those comments that really got it going. Speaking of comments getting a team going, what about this from Lee Matthews on the... Eve of a match between the Bombers and the Lions in round 10, 2001. Predator movie that Arnie Schwarzenegger starred in, and there was this monster from alien monster from out of space that was killing all these people in the South American uh, jungle. And all of a sudden, they shot this monster and they discovered it bled. And Arnie's classic line was if it bleeds, we can kill it. And we reckon Essendon can bleed. Well, he was right. The Bombers at that stage were 8-1. and one. The Lions were 4-5. and five. Essendon were raging hot favourites to go back-to-back. Back. They beat them at the Gabba that night. They didn't lose for the rest of the season. They knocked the Bombers off in the grand final. And as we know, they went on to win it again in 2002 and again in 2003. So they, they are comments that no Brisbane fan will ever forget. Uh, what impact they had, who knows. But they certainly made a statement in that round 10 game and they went on to be one of the greatest teams we've ever seen. Now, number 13 is just a one of the more tense nights you'll ever see at the footy. It was round 6, 2003, and it was North Melbourne, led by Anthony Stevens, coming up against Adelaide, which featured Wayne Carey for the first time since the dramatic fallout of the affair and Wayne Carey leaving North Melbourne. Here's Carey. Stevens lined him up too. <laughs> Let there be no mistake about that. Stevens went at him at 100 miles an hour. He got another go. And got up and had another go. Yeah. And Kent was joined by Glenn Archer shortly thereafter. Have a look. There you go. Have a look at this. Have a look at this, boys. Frey got the goal. Come on. This is getting close to back alley stuff at the moment. And I know who I'd back. Oh, it was tense. Uh, they went at each other a couple of times, as you heard in the commentary there. Glenn Archer shaped up to Wayne Carey, of course, Glenn Archer being Anthony Stevens' best mate. And it was it was just real-life emotion spilling onto a football field. In the end, Wayne Carey and the Crows had the last laugh. They won the game comfortably, but it was just must-watch TV because you just didn't know what was going to happen next. So that's number 13. Number 12, one of the great marks you'll ever see. Opportunity for Harvey. Goes down a wide tarp, but look out! Oh, Reebok, remarkable. 
After one of the great marks, you will see that time and time again. Nick Revolt running with the flight of the football. Round 11, 2004, Nick Revolt's amazing mark at the SCG. Yeah, we've seen plenty of other marks, and Jonathan Brown did one the year before running back with the flight. But just to see a player running at that speed and catapulting into the air the same way of the footy, it is one of the great marks of all time. And number 11 is one of the modern greats and the only man to ever win three Norm Smith medals. Lambert found Martin, broke the tackle, got a skinner. Martin, could it be three? Martin to put pressure. Still with Martin. Can he kick a fourth? Oh, he has. So Dustin Martin sealing his third Norm Smith medal. The last goal, the symbolism of it, it was that grand final was billed as Dangerfield versus Martin, the two best games, um, the two best players in the game at the time. Martin shrugs off Dangerfield, kicks the ceiling goal. And yeah, he won the 2017 Norm Smith medal. Others would argue maybe Basha Hooley was better that day. 2019 against the Giants, they won by that much that, that you could, there was probably five or six players that could have won the medal and they were that dominant that his performance was important, but it wasn't the difference between winning and losing. But you can't argue that 2020, if Dustin Martin doesn't play, they are not winning that grand final. Four goals in a low scoring game, three of those after halftime. The goal before halftime when everything was going against them, got them back in the game. He was so dominant. Then to be the only man to win three is just an extraordinary performance. So that's number 11. Tomorrow we'll go six through 10, and Wednesday we will name the top five. Uh, just a little correction on our uh, times for the World Cup. That was for our Western Australian audience, of course. So I'll just, just go forward three hours uh, on all of those uh, times. So 6 a.m. France, Australia, 9 p.m. Tunisia, Australia, and then at 2 a.m. It will be for Australia versus Denmark. So a whole range of times there. If you've got any thoughts on that latest uh, part of our countdown, uh, numbers 16 through to 11, you can always send us a temper text or give us a call. one 736 736 Let's get the latest from April in the newsroom. The enthusiasm of the government and the enthusiasm of the sponsorship. So now we work that in. Now we make the initial call. And then when we made the initial call that I did with the Premier, it was like hand in glove. That was the voice of one and only Greg Norman in Adelaide today. What a big month in April it's going to be in Adelaide. You've got the, well, we can't call it the magic round, but whatever we're going to call that round where all 18 teams are based in Adelaide. And then the first live golf event in Australia will be in Adelaide next year from April 21 to 23 at the Grange Golf Club. Uh, The event comes two weeks after the U.S. Masters, uh, Aussies Cam Smith, uh, Mark Leishman and Matt Jones will all feature. So 14 events on the Live Golf Tour next year. One of those will be in Adelaide. So Greg Norman was there launching it uh, with Peter Malinowskis, the SA Premier uh, today. Um, now, have you got a birthday celebration? Tobin Brothers Funerals, of course, celebrating lives. You can call up or send us a text and give a shout-out to someone uh, for their birthdays. Looking at a couple of famous names that have got their birthdays today. Uh, Emma Raducanu, the tennis player, turns 20. And King Charles, 73 today. So if you've got anyone you want to wish happy birthday to, send us a temper text, 0433 or you can give us a call, one 736 736 Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating life. Just one off the temper text before we get to the break and speak some NFL. Talking about the Football World Cup 
in the first hour. You're passionate about it. You're up for it or with this tournament and the timing where it is, uh, you're not quite feeling it. And also, you know, there's a bit of pessimism around the Socceroos' uh, chances in this World Cup. Moza, a great con- contributor to the f- uh, to the show, makes a really interesting point here, I reckon. G'day, Jules. I feel we don't market soccer in Australia very well. With social media and 24-hour TV and radio stations, our national players don't have amazing profiles. We know what the Aussie players are up to in the NBA, but apart from Sam Kerr, our soccer players don't get much attention. I think it's a fair point. I think we didn't hear from many that made the squad so soon after the announcement last week. They should have been out. There's some great stories around there of players that are playing in the A-League that will now play in the World Cup. We, Graham Arnold was out and about. We didn't really hear from any of the players. So I think that's that's a fair point uh, made from Mozart. Let's get to the break. Chris, hang on. We'll get to your shout-out for someone's birthday after the break. Master Builders Victoria members get access to a wide range of expert advice and support services. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Doing some shout-outs for birthdays for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Want to hear from Mark off the 40 Wings Temper. Big happy birthday to two of my sons today. Fletcher turns eight and Carter turns six. Happy birthday to Fletcher and Carter. Dave, very good, Dave. It was King Charles's birthday. Where's the public holiday? Jules, says Dave in Hopper's Crossing. Chris from Bannockburn's jumped on the Werribee Kia open line. I think he's got a birthday shout-out. Hey, Chris. Oh, g'day. Yeah, my Billy is turning nine today. Oh, magnificent. And what what are you doing for Billy's ninth birthday? Uh, we'll go out for tea tonight at a restaurant. And, um, yeah, he'll choose most likely a hamburger. <laughs> well, what will he choose for dessert, Chris? Uh, he'll, have, he'll have his birthday cake, um, which I've got to pick up shortly. So that's my job for the day. I'll better make sure I do that. Beautiful. And who's, uh, who's Billy following the footy? Long. He had his photo taken with a cup recently, so that was pretty much a, a, a pretty special thing for him there at, at eight when, when that happened. So we got to go and fantastic. Yep. Okay. Oh, mag- magnificent. Happy birthday to Billy. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for uh, giving us a call and uh, a birthday shout out there for Tobin Brothers Funerals. He's had a good year. Turning nine, Cats won the flag. Magnificent timing to be a young uh, cat supporter. Uh, NFL, extraordinary morning this morning. So great time to speak to Laurie Horish, ESPN NFL reporter, NFL expert. He's been good enough to join us this afternoon. Hey, Laurie. Great to be joining you. you great to speak, mate. It's been a long time. Uh, we'll get to that amazing game between uh, the Bills and the Vikings uh, shortly. But this, this appointment of, of Jeff Saturday to the Indianapolis Colts has, uh, has had many people commentating and many people being critical of him Many people being critical of the Colts, but first up, he got a win. He did get a win indeed, yeah. A very noisy week around Jeff Saturday and a lot of multi-tiered discussion, right? You've got a lot of coaches saying, oh, this is disrespectful to the profession of coaching for the years, the decades that a lot of people put in honing their craft. Then there's obviously another layer to this conversation, which in recent years, we talk about coaches of colour and representation in the league and how hard and how high the barriers have been for very qualified players. Oh, sorry, very qualified coaches and coaching staff members of colour to break through to that head coaching role. So these conversations are going on. There's obviously a close relationship between Jeff Saturday and uh, the the owner, um, Jim Ursay, of the Indianapolis Colts. But look, a, a win will start to change the narrative. And this was, look, Matt Ryan was ousted from his position as, head, as QB1 from the Indianapolis Colts. And there was a lot of talk that this was a decision that came under the previous coaching regime, but this came from Jim Irsay 
at the top. Now he gets his job back. That noise started to filter out ahead of game. He has a not not an overly explosive day through the air, but a clean no interception, one touchdown, over 200 yards. A huge play there where Matt Ryan busts out a 39-yard rush, which was more than any of his total rushing yard totals throughout his long, long career as an NFL starter. But this is back to ground, back to the ground game for the Colts. They got. Um, they got Jonathan Taylor going almost 150 yards on the ground for him today. A big breakaway that showed off his, not just the power that he has, but the speed, the game-breaking ability. So back to what we were used for this Colts team, the strength of their team being a solid defense and a really good ground game in recent years. Back to that, and look, the Las Vegas Raiders are showing this season why they are one of the best in the league at snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And once again, that shows up despite a very, very productive outing for likes of Devontae Adams. Couldn't get it done on a final play there. Uh, Stefan Gilmore in coverage. Uh, Raiders fans will suggest there's a little bit physical coverage there from Stefan Gilmore, but a hand on the ball when you disrupt the pass will always get the refs looking your way favorably. And Laurie, I just saw a video that was put up on uh, Twitter of uh, Derek Carr speaking afterwards. He was in literally in tears speaking about that. Yeah, I think when you look, Derek Carr is someone who has hung around that kind of quarterback eight, quarterback 15 range throughout his career. And his career was going in a strong trajectory. They made a huge move to bring in Devontae Adams, his former college teammate. They expected with some of the weapons they had on offense to really take a step forward this season. The defense isn't up to that tier. The offensive line isn't consistent to lay the platform there. So I think this is just a culmination of frustration there. We've got a new coach in Josh McDaniels who, I mean, look, the proof is really starting to stack up that head coaching is not in his purview or is not in his it's not in his capability to take what has been a, a very well regarded offensive creative mind that he possessed in New England for so long we saw it fall apart in Denver and so far this has not been a successful start to his second crack a head coaching gig and yeah that frustration that disappointment and a, a massive failure versus expectation is taking its toll on you know one of the faces of the franchise in Derek Carr there's a lot of anticipation around the game between the Vikings and the Bills going in, two of the, the better teams in the, in the competition so far this season. It certainly lived up to all the hype. And speaking about snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, that, that's exactly <laughs> what happened to the Bills. It did. This was the game of the year, the game of the century, the game of millennium, whatever you want to throw it down as. And that's probably a little disrespectful to what we saw with the Bills and the Chiefs a few months or not too many months ago last season when the uh, the Chiefs advanced in ridiculous circumstances in the AFC playoffs. But yeah, this was back and forth. Not a clean game from the quarterbacks. Both of them, both Kirk Cousins and Josh Allen had mistakes. They had their turnovers. They coughed the ball up. But just the, the, the series of events at the end there, Justin Jefferson elevating with a catch that, in my opinion, surpasses Odell Beckham Jr.'s. A civil emotion in terms of going back with the fly to the ball, sticking one mid out, and holding on, but how the ball didn't touch the ground. The fact that he did it in tight coverage with someone contesting the ball at the point of the catch. Uh, to bring that one down, Justin Jefferson, arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL. Then we have the Vikings failing at the goal line on fourth and goal. Kirk Cousins' sh- shoulder touching the ground just shy. So we get a turnover and downs, and then Josh Allen and the Bills, a failed snap from under center there. The ball coughs up. The the the, the the Vikings managing to collapse on that one, not just collapse on the ball in the field of play, but collapse on it in the end zone. So they get the touchdown. We go to, I mean, this thing was a it was a cardiac of a game. Um, and I don't mean that disrespect. This was an incredible showcase of both the chaos of the NFL 
the extreme highs of offensive talent and explosiveness and some of the mind-numbing decision-making and failures of execution uh, that made one hell of a masterpiece. Unbelievable game. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, uh, make sure you catch the highlights tonight because the drama in the, at the dying stages and in overtime uh, was unbelievable. Laurie, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Uh, keeps delivering the NFL. We've got a pretty close one on at the moment between the Chargers and the San Francisco 49ers as well. Thanks for your time this afternoon. My pleasure. Great to join you. Laurie Horace, ESPN AFL, uh, AFL, ESPN Australia uh, NFL expert. I've got AFL on my mind. Uh, let's take another break here. Maxie Becker's going to jump in uh, afterwards uh, to tell us all about his podcast this week. Interesting to see what uh, caught his eye on sport on the weekend as well. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale. Brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing. Drink responsibly. Access to the best in construction industry training. Call Master Builders Victoria today. Afternoons on SEN. Welcome back to the show. Good point from Andy off our 40 Wings temper. Happy birthday to our very own Adam Gilchrist. 51 years young today. Also Scotty West birthday today. 48. No players won more best and fairest in the AFL era than Scott West. Seven for the Footscray slash Western Bulldogs. A man that's a long way away from birthday 48 or 51 is Maxie Becker, who joins us in the studio. Hey, Maxie. G'day, Jules. How are you today? I'm very well. What took your eye on sport on the weekend? It was so much to take in. What did you watch? There was a lot to take in. I had a look at the AFLW this weekend, Adelaide and Collingwood. At the end of that first quarter, it was pelting <laughs> down rain at Alley Oval in Adelaide. The Crows took away a two-goal lead at quarter time before Mark Soderstrom was particularly rained Very out. Gutsy from Soda getting he, in the water. He had, his, he had his feet out and he... It was ankle deep water. So, but Ash Brazel and the girls at Collingwood just tried to hang in there in the second quarter. Couldn't get the job done. Adelaide, all they really needed was an extra couple of behinds or an extra goal to steal the win. It was an absolute slog fest. But Adelaide come away with the win and go into the prelim final. They're looking good. We didn't know this season whether how good the Adelaide Crows were going to be with that loss of Aaron Phillips, but they just keep coming and coming and proving their worth. Yep, they've been the the best club in the AFLW so far across its uh, seven seasons, no doubt about that. Podcast this week, who are we listening out for? Well, I had Broder Maynard last I week. I did see him up there a couple of weeks ago in the, yeah, in the with the shoulder sling, yeah, the so arm sling. Yeah, he was really good. He's got hypermobile shoulders, so he had a surgery a couple of weeks ago. He's back in the gym at the moment. He'll be back at the club, full training and running by December. But I had Mitch Creek from the South oh, East Melbourne be entertaining. Phoenix. It was, Never short of a word. No, he's not. He's really entertaining. But the thing that caught my eye with Mitch Creek was how focused he is on the mental resilience and mental side of basketball and mental health. It was particularly interesting the way he looked at it. And it's going to be a great battle against Melbourne United in the throwdown this weekend. He said, you know, when I got the poster on Delhi, I looked down and didn't even know it was Delhi. And after the shot, he's like, you know, like, oh, like I've just dunked on Delhi. He goes, and before you know it, there's Mason Peatling coming from our left-hand side and knocked him into the ground. He goes, and there's a snap of realistic view that just shocked me. And it's like, I'm going to go and punch this bloke. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go and kill Fair enough. this bloke. So he goes and you get to him and she's like, oh, oh, like you can't do anything. No. Nah. And he's yeah. like, just wanted to put a hole through yeah, his Yeah, so throw goes. down. Then we've had the break because of the international fever break. And we've got another throw down. And we've got another throw down. So we've got two in two weeks. But Melbourne United have got to overcome this first challenge on Thursday night against the Adelaide 36ers at home, which will be a particularly... Gee, it's been an up and down NBL season. Apart from the Kings... We've been pretty consistent. It is tough to pick a winner. 
It absolutely is. I think the jack jumpers, I've always got confidence in the jack jumpers that they can pull something out. They're such a fight and grind team out, as Liam Santa Maria has mentioned on my podcast, sportingmax.podcast on Instagram, that the, the jack jumpers and Scott Roth didn't pick, you know, first class players. He went for guys that he's given them a second chance and yeah. they've stepped up to the plate and they've shown really how good they are. This season too, so it's going to be interesting to see how they go in the back end of this NBL season. Before I let you go, pretty exciting morning for Josh Giddy. Yes, it was. The superstar Josh Giddy. I've actually hoping to get him on the podcast. Yeah, I've got, I've got, video, I've got video footage of him uh, promising me to come on. So 24 points and a triple-double for Josh. It's great to see back-to-back Seasons back-to-back triple-doubles at Madison Square Garden against the Knicks. Very exciting times for Josh Giddy. As always, when we speak to Max, it's thanks to our friends at Wahoo. Where you find fun this summer, you'll find Wahoo. Check out the range at wahoo.com.au. Give us a call now to win a Wahoo prize pack or send us through a text on the 40 Winks temper. Max, great to see you. Looking forward to the podcast with Mitchie Creek. Thanks, Jules. Have a great day. Coming up afterwards, the world of football. Plenty happening. We'll chat to Andy Harper. Need help getting your builder's registration? Call Master Builders Victoria today to discuss our member support program. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. And more desperate defending, and the Matildas can break again here. Cooney Cross. Oh, lovely football for Caitlin Ford. One on one. Caitlin Ford onto the right. Now Farrell, plenty of time to think about it, tings it across and finds Garrett Cork, oh my words, oh my goodness, that is simply extraordinary, that is ladies and gentlemen, Garrett Cork, 2-2, he is such a talent, they can't believe it, I'm not sure we can either. Great weekend of football in Australia. The Matildas 4-0 victors over Sweden. That great goal from Grant Quoll yesterday. He scored two uh, for the Mariners. And uh, an amazing Sydney derby on Saturday night as well. So time for a coffee catch-up for Maccas. Pop into Maccas for 30 days, 30 deals. If you want to catch up for a coffee with someone, no one better than Andy Harper. He'll probably shout you as well. And he's been good enough uh, to join us this afternoon, the Paramount Plus football expert, Andy Harper. G'day, Andy. Hey, Jules. How are you, mate? I'm very well. Uh, you were lucky enough to be in Melbourne, be at Amy Park on Saturday. 22,000 in there to see the Matildas at their very best. What, what what does the result mean at the end of the day, knocking off Sweden in a friendly? Oh, well, Jules, you know, there's a lot of confidence that comes with that, a lot of belief. Um, a lot of belief because the team you know, hasn't really set any great heights uh, under Gustafsson. Um, in, in fact, there's been a lot of navel-gazing around the Matildas team. So much uh, at stake next July when the World Cup's on, hosted by Australia and New Zealand, and you want your team in the headline games deep into the tournament. And there hasn't been a lot of confidence being engendered around the place on the back of the team's performance. But uh, the last couple of games, Denmark leading into this one, but certainly against Sweden, number two ranked team in the world, they had a few players missing, so there's a little bit of context to it. But a just huge shot in the arm confidence-wise uh, for the team. Um, 
to have looked so menacing and particularly to get some great form back into Caitlin Ford, who really was the dominant player on the field. It was quite a fantastic performance. What did you like about the performance as a whole? And, and maybe what have you seen in the last couple of games? You mentioned the Denmark game was promising as well. What have you seen that you've liked that you haven't seen in, in the more recent games that the Matildas have played? Where have you said there has been a bit of criticism with the way they've played? Mm. Well, I think the, the, the coach Gustafsson has, has tweaked a formation which is seemingly more agreeable to the girls. It certainly helps Sam Kerr out a little bit more because she's not so isolated. So normally, and for the bulk of the time under Gustafsson, they've played a 4-3-3. That's four defenders across the back, three midfielders and three attackers, two wingers and a centre forward. Um, Sam being the centre forward and an outstanding player has been very, very isolated in that formation. So what apparently has happened in the last couple of games is basically Gustafsson's turned it into a 4-4-2 um, and he's got that other, instead of playing two out-and-out wingers, he's now brought Caitlin Ford to play in the middle, starting almost as a striker next to Sam Kerr, but oftentimes just dropping a little bit behind her as well. Uh, and it's and it's bringing Sam into the game more. It's certainly allowing Caitlin to get more involved and, and you know, she through the middle of the park has just been fantastic. And then we've got some really fast wingers outside in uh, Courtney Vine and Hayley Rasso who really enjoyed um, the opportunity to get up and down the line and really attack. So I have to give credit where it's due, um, whether it's internal analysis or discussions or the players have voiced an opinion, I'm not quite sure. But the formation looks a lot better and the players have really grown into it. Um, but unavoidably, Jules, you know, any coach uh, in any team, in any sport, is only as good as the player performances mm. that come with it. Now, the coach's job is to set the structure and the atmosphere, um, but even with the best structure and the best atmosphere, if good players don't play well, you bug it. Um, what we've finally seen in the last couple of, of, of weeks is that a couple of players, in particular Caitlin Ford, really showing incredible leadership. And um, in behind Caitlin, a, a lot of other things have clicked really well. So it was a great night on Saturday, a great afternoon at Amy Park. It was a, a very, very well-deserved win and, and a very exciting to watch. Well, it was a great night Saturday night in Sydney, Andy. That was a there was something about that derby, you know, new stadium, the whole Milos Ninkovic, the, the tension that sort of created uh, between mm. the two supporter bases and the two clubs. What do you make of that as an event for the for the A-League, the way that all played out and in the end, a pretty tight and tough game as well. I just thought it was fantastic. Um, Milos Ninkovic covered himself in in glory, actually. Um, I don't know what... I don't think any of us, apart from maybe three people around the negotiating table, know exactly what was said to whom. Um, and so we're left with fag ends to the discussion about if Sydney were right or Wanderers were right and Ninkovic was right. But that'll fester forever. Um but I think both the, the clubs, Sydney FC and, and Milos Ninkovic, came through with flying colours. You know, a lot was said in anticipation and speculation. But when the game came, it was just a really robust encounter. And Milos rose to the top of the pack. He and the other uh, Sydney offcut, if I can put it that way, Callum Neuenhoff. He was brilliant for the Wanderers, the young midfielder, really brilliant. Uh, so it sort of hurt Sydney fans that two of their former players were the key architects in the downfall. So actually, I'll put a third in there. The captain from their season first season winning campaign, Mark Root and the coach of yep. uh, the Western Sydney Wanderers, I just thought was magnificent. The, the, the style in which he coached the team on Saturday night was really added to the whole occasion. I thought he was fantastic. He embodied the tension and the, and the passion. Players fed off it. Fans fed off it. I thought it was a massive win 
for the league. And obviously, Sydney now have lost the Big Blue and the Wanderers, their first two home games, um, big home games of the new campaign and their new home. And that hurts. That hurts because they've been good value in both, but ultimately not good enough. Is it the Premier Derby in the A-League, the Sydney Derby, do you think? I think it is when it's at full swing. Um, the Melbourne Derby is a fantastic occasion, but it, it, it does come back to the field because you know Melbourne City, just, they just can't claim the same fan base mm. at the moment. I think I like to think in time they'll get there, but when Sydney and the Wanderers are flying, they can fill a stadium with half a contingent each, and that really adds to the occasion. Um, that's not quite the case in the Melbourne Derby yet, even though the games are fantastic which is the challenge for Melbourne City, I guess. You know, I don't know quite what's going on, but, you know, fantastic football operation, obviously very well resourced, but just hasn't quite clicked at the turnstiles yet. And when it does, the Melbourne derby uh, will, will, will go to another level. But as things stand, you know, the Sydney derby, when it's firing, is, is one of the best in Australian sport. Forget just the A-League. And, Jules, you know, it just gets to that discussion about expanding the A-League, which is hot on everyone's lips. It, it is going to take place. There will be an expansion program. And when you look at the success of the Sydney and Melbourne um, experiences, then the first port of call as a strategy surely must be to get derbies established mm. in the big cities in every city. Um, Newcastle won't have another intra-city opponent. They've, they've got the, the Mariners just down the road. But really, if you're in Brisbane and you're a Raw fan, you're in Adelaide um, and your big game is against Victory, you're in Perth, you're thinking, you know what, it would really help us all if we could get another team in our city so we could have one of these experiences. Are the markets big enough in those cities, do you think? Of course they are. Yeah, you know, of course they are. There's no, no question in my mind. It's about just running your club well, making the proposition and the offering good um, and, and finding the point of difference. You know, it was very obvious in Sydney, you know, that the, geogra- the geography in Sydney certainly lends itself to the east-west. Uh, and there's a third wheel now in the discussion, of course, with the with MacArthur Bulls. But, um, you know, when I first started in this competition, which was at the start of the competition, Jules, um, the prevailing wisdom was let's just make super clubs in each city. And Sydney FC could never be what they are now without the pressure and the competition from the Wanderers. Just imagine... Imagine it without the Wanderers. Yep. And, and you go into a place like Brisbane, is it big enough? Of course, it's way too big for just one and a poorly performing club at that in Brisbane Raw. So if you're in the southeast of Queensland, Jules, you, know, you can fall into this false sense that, oh, maybe there isn't a market for another team and that's all driven because of the poor performance of Brisbane Raw. Well, well, well you've got to work the numbers and the numbers, if you do the geography or find the, the point of difference properly, then a Brisbane derby would go off completely. Same in Adelaide and same in Perth. Speaking to Andy Harper, of course, uh, Paramount Plus football expert. Uh, we know Melbourne Victory's got the fan base, but we spoke about this about a week and a half ago. You weren't too concerned. Another heavy defeat on the weekend. How concerned should Victory supporters I know we've got a, a, a break now before we return, but how, how mm. concerned would Victory supporters be with the, their team's start to the season? Well, I think they'd be irritated more than concerned <laughs> because... There's a few teams I really hate losing against, and Adelaide's one of them. You know, that Southern Classico is really... It's my favourite fixture. I've just talked about how big the Sydney Derby is, which is fantastic. But my favourite fixture in the comp is victory v Adelaide, particularly when it's played at Adelaide Stadium. I just love it. Um, On Friday night, however, victory just didn't turn up. Uh, You can say these things, it's easy to say, with the right frame of mind. You know, from the very get-go... We had those really good uh, grabs. The cameras were allowed into Adelaide's dressing room as Carl Viet sent the team out for battle. 
Um, and that can sometimes be a bit com C, com sa, but yeah. I tell you what, it must have been ringing in the players' ears because the way they played was exactly the, the, the way Carl Viet finally addressed them. And victory never, they never could really keep up for some reason. You know, I think they're a great team. They've got an excellent coach. This and the, uh, that will be a blip on the radar. Um, and the World Cup break comes in a good time for Popovich to do whatever corrections are required. Um, but Adelaide were just too good on the night and they thoroughly deserved their win. Um, and that happens from time to time in the Super Classico because it is my favourite fixture uh, on the calendar. And that's why, because often, oftentimes, um, well, it's, ne- it's a never to be mismatch. And oftentimes the surprises happen and the fancy team, whether it's Adelaide or, or victory in any particular season can, can uh, have their pants pulled down. And they certainly did. Craig Goodwin was outstanding for Adelaide. We saw Jamie McLaren score another goal for City. And Grant Quoll, two goals yesterday. The second one was magnificent. Just, just with Quoll, how much game time do you expect him to see at the World Cup? Well, you know, it depends on the state of the games. I mean, I don't think there's going to be any prescription going in for Garang's going to get 5, 10, 15 or 20. Um, but what we've seen is, is his capacity to change the game. Um, and, you know, every time he plays, it's going to be more and more tempting for Graham Arnold to give him more and more minutes um, because he, he has not taken the field in any of his senior matches, whether it's A-League, All-Stars against Barcelona or for the Socceroos where he hasn't made something happen. It's just, it, you can set your clock to it. It's incredible. So if the games are in the balance, the Socceroos need an injection um, uh, in the World Cup matches and... and Let's hope they're going to be in the balance and then Gary Quall can come on and do his thing because he's not going to be scared of anyone. I mean, he's in this precious time of his life where reputations are nothing. He's not, he's not old enough to or experienced enough to be overly respectful of the people against whom he's playing. That comes a bit later. He'll just go in and have a crack. And all the evidence, like 100% of the evidence, um, which is quite a compelling rate, uh, tells you that he will make a difference when he gets on the field. So... It will depend on how the rest of the team is faring um, at any point in the game. How excited about him are you? I mean, we have young players burst on the scene all the time. And, you know, Daniel Arzani, yeah. early days at Melbourne City, was so exciting. But how, how is, are you excited about him as you have been about someone for a long time? I think it's fair to say that. Uh, I don't know Darren Quall. So I, I, and, and, you know, it's hard when youngsters come through because you get excited and then defenders start working them out a bit and maybe the hype gets to them a bit, whatever, whatever. Uh, and so if you don't know what sort of atmosphere they're in and, and what their mentalities are like, it's hard to make uh, rock-solid predictions. But he, he's, it's safe to say that he's sailed the first part of his journey without even blinking. Now, it's quite remarkable. It's not a flash-in-the-pan moment. It's game after game when he gets a chance that he does something. And on that basis of the crop you've mentioned, um, the recent generation coming through the A-League, all of whom have provided a lot of excitement in recent years, but n- none have been consistent in, as consistent in their delivery as Garen Quall is. This is a kid who still hasn't started the game yet. I mean, it's incredible. Has not started a senior football match yet. And he's looming, he's looming as a real ace in the pack for, for, for Graham Arnold at the World Cup if the game situation um, declares it. Andy, just on the World Cup as a whole, we, we started the show with this today, just trying to gauge people's interest in this World Cup. I mean, it is the biggest mm. event in the world, the World Cup, and it was mixed response. Mm. How are you mm. feeling about your excitement and anticipation for this World Cup compared to previous mm. World Cups? Well, it's less. 
it's less, but I, I, the, one of the reasons for that is just it's a strange time of year. You know, we have grown up as fans of football with the World Cup of football being in the middle of the year every four years. Um, this, this competition should have been run and won already. We should be in European club season and A-League season now. So it's the distraction um, from club commitments, which I think might be people might be finding a little bit difficult. Um, you know, if this went to the original plan, the tournament would have been played in June, July, as per the sales pitch from the Qataris, which was played in to be played in air-conditioned stadiums. That's how they, that's how they got the camel through that eye of the needle of the, the heat of the <laughs> Gulf. Well, air-condition the stadiums. Well, that 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 decision was obviously that was a ruse, like a lot of things um, in world sport. But I, I think that's all fed into people's anticipation levels. Um, some big names getting injured, but big names have missed World Cups before. I just think it's, I really think it's the timing, not helped, of course, by a lot of the controversy around Qatar, which has been festering for 10 years now, um, and, and that's becoming more of a subplot as the World Cup's about to start. So that's, those stories are, be, are getting magnified now. I think that takes away from people's interests. Um, but it, it's just, it's totally messed with our biorhythms. And Aussie football fans have those messed with enough having to watch the games at two in the morning. <laughs> to have it in the wrong time of the year as well is something else again. I'm sure when it all starts, they will be uh, glued to the television, especially the Socceroos can get a result against France uh, in the first game. Andy, always uh, great to chat. Uh, thanks for your time again today. Hey, George. Thanks for having me, mate. Good on you. Great to chat to Andy Harper, Paramount Plus football expert. Uh, that was our ca- coffee catch-up for Maccas. Maccas, 30 days, 30 deals. Find out today's delicious deal only on the My Maccas app. Uh, coming up after the break, Lost in the Wash. Master Builders Victoria members get access to a wide range of expert advice and support services. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. I'm trying to force you out. Yes, not only the coach, but the other two or three guys there around the club. At uh, the senior executive level? Yes, that I felt betrayed. And uh, you think they're trying to get rid of you? Honestly, I shouldn't say that, I don't know, but listen, I. I don't care, I'm always, people should listen to the truth. Yes, I feel betrayed and I felt that some people that don't want me here, not only this year, but last year too. That is the voice of Cristiano Ronaldo. That, that is just a, a little snippet of a 90-minute interview he's done with Piers Morgan over in the UK. You'd have to say... If that's what we're going to get from that interview, that uh, he won't be playing for Manchester United again. He also doubled down on his criticism of Manchester United manager Eric Ten Hag, who left him out and suspended Ronaldo after he refused to come on as a late substitute against Tottenham a couple of weeks ago. He said, I don't have respect for him, but he doesn't show respect for me. And if you don't have respect for me, I'm never going to have respect for you. So World Cup's obviously on the radar now with Portugal, but what happens to Cristiano Ronaldo uh, on the other side, where he's playing. It won't be Manchester United, but will he get a move to where he wants to go? Others are saying, you know, people are saying he's just soaking up because he didn't get the move that he wanted. Uh, so interesting to see what side of the fence people sit on after that interview goes to air. That won't be lost in the wash over in the UK when it comes out. Of course, it's lost in the wash for Identifiber, your specialist in asbestos and hazardous material assessments. Anything that we haven't mentioned that happened over the weekend, uh, you can give us a call, one 736 736 on the Werribee Kia open line, awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. Or send us through 
a temper on the 40 Winks temper. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. A few other things that we haven't mentioned. Now, this this should get lost in the wash. Praise for Rod and his music. Uh, love the long play of HHH. Triple H. I know it's Triple H. I was just uh, stirring. That's Craig on the road. Now, speaking of, we've been lauding Josh Giddy as we should be, after his uh, second triple-double. Two games he's played at Madison Square Garden. Two triple-doubles, 24 points, 12 assists, 10 rebounds against the New York Knicks for the OKC Thunder. Um, what about Joe Al Embiid? 59 points, 11 rebounds, 8 assists and 7 blocks today against Utah. So in his last two matches, so basically in the last 24 hours, he scored 101 points, uh, 59 and 42. So he is in uh, some serious form. And on the weekend, one of the a great sporting upset and, and a bit of history made at the Rugby League World Cup. So we know the Kangaroos snuck through against New Zealand and will play in the final. I think most of us thought that would be against England. But no, Samoa causing one of the great upsets and through to the World Cup final for the first time. Uh, the first time a Pacific nation has made it through to the World Cup. 27-26, they knocked off England at home in extra time. Uh, so an amazing game. So Australia will play Samoa uh, for the World Cup title. I'm pretty sure it's at Old Trafford uh, next weekend. So uh, plenty that we haven't got to uh, today. Of course, the Premier League is now in recess. If you missed the uh, results uh, overnight, uh, Fulham won Manchester United 2. A late, late goal for Manchester United. And a lot of late goals uh, in the Premier League this season. Good win for Aston Villa uh, away from home against Brighton 2 1. So Arsenal 37, Man City 32, Newcastle 30, Spurs 28, United 26, Liverpool 22 are the top six uh, in the English Premier League at the moment. Of course, World Cup. There's not much, uh, that, well, there's no Premier League until Boxing Day now. Just uh, If you're just joining us and you haven't heard the, uh, oh, I guess the, the interesting story and the big story of the day is that four men have been arrested over suspicious Brownlow medal betting. The latest from John Pyrrhic uh, in The Age. Um, so I'll just read down a bit further. So warrants were carried out on a Monday at residential properties in Glenroy, Kilsyth, Oak Park, Drew and Craigieburn and Doreen. And four men were arrested. They were two 32-year-old men from Glenroy, a 29-year-old man from Oak Park, and a 27-year-old man from Druin. Um, so pol- police are investigating how many matches potentially had votes released and the magnitude of the bets involved. Police say there is nothing to suggest Cripps' win, confirmed only after his best on-ground effort against Collingwood in the last round of the season was impacted. Um so it's four men are cooperating with police at the moment. So the earlier report in the Herald Sun said it believed an AFL umpire uh, was being investigated. So we'll just keep an eye on that one. Another one that was lost in the wash uh, before we get to the news, we're going to speak to Brett Phillips uh, very shortly, uh, was uh, a fantastic Vic PGA down at Moona Links. I know Andy Maher's going to speak about it uh, more on the run home with Andrew Gaze uh, very shortly, but a five-hole playoff win to Andrew Martin. It was a great golf down there at Moona Links uh, yesterday. Um, so Andy Maher will have more on that. Uh, Brett Phillips coming up. Uh, very, very shortly. Might play after the break to some uh, fantastic audio from the Women's uh, World Cup from Ruby Tui, Tui from the uh, New Zealand team that won the World Cup. This is how all uh, post-match uh, media interviews should go. But let's get the latest from April in the newsroom before we do that. How was it, New Zealand? How was it? Oh, 
just so proud to be a New Zealander right now. They said nobody cared about women's rugby, but guess what? We out here. We out here, fam. We're going nowhere. New Zealand, catch a bit here, Quinn. How are you? They said we couldn't do it, Kirst. They said we wouldn't. We did it, and honestly, it took all of us. Anybody out there defended an England more before? It ain't easy on the last minute, baby. But we all did it together. New Zealand was a part of that. And I'm so proud to be here right now. New Zealand. That's a bit better, Rod. That is a bit better. But how good was that from Ruby Tui? Uh, what a great event that was. The Rugby Union World Cup for women. New Zealand beat England in a thriller. Packed house over there at Eden Park in Auckland. And to top it all off, just reading a story that she's actually donated or given her winning medal to a young girl who's battling cancer. So well done to Ruby Tui. What a, what a great weekend uh, she has had. So uh, the young fan is recovering from leukemia, and her dream is to play for the Black Ferns like Ruby Tui does. So that was a great moment uh, over the weekend. Speaking of good causes, make sure you show your support for Mick Happy Day by purchasing a pair of silly socks from Maccas for only $5. Money raised will go towards Ronald McDonald House Charities as they continue to help seriously ill or injured children and their families. So make sure uh, you show your support for Mick Happy Day, which is coming up. This week and uh, after the break, we're going to talk to Brett Phillips. Uh, Australian Open is actually not too far away, but plenty of tennis going on. The end of year ATP finals and the Billie Jean King Cup, which ended in disappointment for Australia today, losing in the final to Switzerland. But overall, uh, it was a great week for the Aussie girls. BP will join us on the other side of the break. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale, brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing. Drink responsibly. Access to the best in construction industry training. Call Master Builders Victoria today. Afternoons on SEN. Welcome back to the show. Brett Phillips will join us uh, very sh- shortly. Of course, host of the first serve, 8pm tonight on SEN. Andy Marr, Andrew Gaze uh, getting ready at the back as well for a big show between 3 and 5.30. I said 3 and 6 the other day, but it is... 3 and 5.30 now for the boys. I tell you what, you've got to cut some quality content out when you're getting off at 5.30. Uh, seriously, Rod and some of his nerdy mates have clearly got together here on the Temper Text talking about the wrestling music. Absolutely loving the old school wrestling music. Please play Wolfpack and Stone Cold theme song. They have such a pop, says that. 315, as Andrew Gaze would said. I don't think Brett Phillips has got any interest in wrestling music, but he's got plenty of interest in tennis, as we say. First serve tonight, uh, 8 p.m., as BP joins us. Uh, plenty to talk about, uh, BP. Before we get it stuck into the Billie Jean King Cup, I, I, I had to read it twice today when I read that Rafa Nadal has never won an ATP Finals season-ending event. Is that right? That That is correct, uh, Jules. Uh, great to speak. Well, normally at this time of the year, he is so banged up that he's on one leg, uh, Rafa, and he normally makes an appearance at the ATP finals. But what's been a regular occurrence is he sort of retires in his second round robber match and he just goes there. And this is the great part about Nadal. I mean, these guys, obviously, uh, with all these big events, have uh, a contract to play, but also a contract to appear and and be part of the face of the tournament. But he's just never been cherry-ripe physically. And look, he's come into this 
uh, ATP finals, obviously a little bit banged up from the US Open, uh, became a father recently, so really put down the racket jewels for uh, a couple of months. A great first set with Taylor Fritz uh, last night. He's been one of the stars of the season, the young American, but then... Yeah, Fritz uh, went to work. Um, I watched him close at the ATP Cup where you sit courtside this year and uh, the power of his ball off the ground and the Dale talked about just the lack of reaction time last night, even as good as Raffer is. He just couldn't get into any groove. Uh, Fritz was absolutely belting that little yellow fluffy thing at a million miles an hour. So what does it mean for the rest of the tournament now? Because it's one of those tournaments where if you lose one match, you're pretty much done. So is he? Can he get? what does he have to do to get through to the next stage? Well, yeah, they've got, uh, what, three round-robin matches in their group. So he's in the group with Kasparud, uh, Felix Auger, Eliassine, the young Canadian, and, and Fritz. So, I mean, you've got to, you know, certainly to get through to the semis, top two, you've got to be at least probably two and one. Um, so, yeah, it's not much uh, not much margin for error from here. And then, look, Rude and Auger, Eliassine played a great match uh, last night. So... Yeah, I don't have any great expectations for Rafa here because of his lack of match play. And, yeah, history says that he just hasn't been at his best at this tournament. That's why he's never won it. Great week for the girls at the Billie Jean King Cup. Ultimately, didn't quite get there. Lost to Switzerland uh, 2-0 this morning. But what a week for Storm Sanders. So much so that even the great Billie Jean King herself was gushing in praise for how she played. Yeah, she was, uh, Jules. She was fantastic, Storm. And... Uh, she's soon to be Storm Hunter. She's getting married. Uh, she's flying back I and getting married this weekend in Melbourne. So we're going to have to get our head around that come the Aussie summer. Storm Hunter, not Storm Sanders. But we've got used to it with Dasher becoming uh, Gavril over to several over the last 12 months. So that's part of the course. But look, Storm, if you go back 13 months ago, we had her on the first serve. She was on the cusp of the top 100 in singles. Lefty, big off the ground, dynamic, uh, good serve. And then just lost her way a little bit. In the same time, she's got into the top 10 of doubles in the last uh, 12 months. But she showed in the last week that she should still be factoring in singles. I mean, she's later in her 20s now, been on the tour a while. And we want some of these girls to step up and, and crack the top 100. She's got the game, but it, uh, we just hope that maybe this week and a you know, little, little whispering uh, Billie Jean in her ear might just give her the confidence that, hey, I've still got a decent singles career in front of me. So hopefully a nice little fillet for the... Summer of tennis, but yes, uh, we go into a 49th year uh, where we haven't won the Fed Cup, now the Billie Jean King Cup, 1974. So we're close, but not quite good enough overnight. How did you think we should have been... I, mean, I know Storm Sanders' match was really close, but you're a bit disappointed in the performance of Isla Tomjanovic this morning, even though she's playing a very good player in Belinda Bencic? Yeah, I expected a much closer scoreline, particularly the year Isla's had. You know, a couple of Grand Slam quarters, uh, career high ranking of 33. It would have been higher if the Wimbledon points had have counted. She would have been uh, inside the top 30. So she's had a great year. I mean, it's so fascinating at this time of the year, Jules. The players are running on empty, basically. It's a long, long season from January through to November. And you've got to just pull out all stops. And look, Benchich is a, a, a world-class player, no doubt. Uh, but, yeah, Isla just didn't seem to have much in the tank. Um, and, look, she was good during the week, but, you know, lost against Great Britain on Saturday. Uh, luckily, we won the doubles and got through to the final. Uh, but, yeah, considering the year she's had, uh, yeah, I think she'd be pretty shattered that um, she wasn't able to play her part and, you know, keep Australia in that tie. And I'm sure on the first serve, we're speaking to Brett Phillips, host of the first serve, 8pm tonight on SEN. You'll be talking a bit about uh, Brandon Nakashima as well. 
Well, he's a beauty. Uh, America have always had great depth, as we know. But this is yeah, the next-gen ATP final. So we're into, the I think, the sixth edition of this in Milan. They trialled a few new rules. It's the best eight, 21 and unders. So we've seen the emergence of Alcaraz and Sinner and Holgaruna and a few others who have won this tournament the last few years. Sitsi Pass won it. Uh, back, I think, the second edition when he beat Alex Dimonor. Uh So Nakashima is one of, what, about 12 Americans inside the top 100. He's the youngest, and he's got a really, really bright future. So we'll see him down here for the whole uh, summer of tennis. Still sort of waiting for that dominant American to come through on the men's side, aren't we? I mean, growing up, you had Agassi, and you had Sampras, and then you had sort of Andy yep. Roddick winning uh, Grand Slams. But it's been a... A long time between drinks before they produced a, a real champion player. It's interesting because if you look at the Grand Slam nations, you know, you could put France in that same bracket. So France and America have always had so many players, so many talented players inside the top 100, but no one really putting themselves in Grand Slam calculations. Uh, you know, we know that what Yannick Noah, 83, the last French male, and we've got to go back to yeah, Roddick, and before that, obviously, the dominance of Agassi and Sampras and. Uh, McEnroe before that. So they've got a lot of good players. That's because they've obviously got a huge population and they're producing a lot of uh, tennis talent, but not quite the, the mental fortitude. The Europeans now are, and uh, all the Canadians are, are grabbing grabbing the limelight. So they've got some work to do. Yep, as you say, though, they've got some depth of talent coming through. What else can we expect on the first serve tonight, BP? Well, a little bit of a, a follow-up. We had, obviously, Craig Tiley, the CEO, yep. on the program last week, uh, which... Um, yeah, it's certainly made a bit of news, uh, Jules, about the state of Australian tennis. So we'll, we'll certainly circle back and follow that up from last week. There's been plenty of reaction. It's a passionate tennis community out there who all see it from a different lens. So you'll go into that in a, in a fair bit of depth uh, tonight amongst all the results and anything else that blows in onto the run sheet. How do you see the current state of Australian tennis? Well, I think as a, as a Grand Slam nation, we probably should be better positioned. I mean, we have a a major here that makes, you know, around $350 million annually. Obviously, it dipped a bit during COVID. And that money is obviously filtered into the performance uh, pathway here in Australia, Jules. So there's a strong argument that we should be doing a lot better. But yeah, UTR, and a lot of people listening to us, you know, follow tennis, a bit hard to get their head around it, but it was brought in as a way of um, trying to give our players a pathway to get to the top. So not in the ranking system, but UTR, rating if you like which has been pretty controversial and there's a lot of changes going on with that at the moment so yeah I think we should be producing certainly more players but we actually need a bigger calendar of tournaments here in Australia the other codes allow you to be in Australia to develop mm. yourself before you got to go overseas and that's where tennis is trying to find that balance in a global sport where it's tough to get you know real estate to play tournaments so, yeah so what, what's you might have just given the answer away in your last comment there, but what's stopping us doing that? Is it is it a, is it a financial thing? Is it the calendar's too busy? Why aren't we seeing more tournaments here? Look, we do we do suffer from just our um, geographical yeah. location. There's no doubt about that. So it is tough. But you know, there's a lot of people. I speak to enough people who say we should be having a lot more than just one month of the year. Uh, you know, there's there's obviously challenges ITFs at that second third tier level, which we do have but next to no crowds actually go to those, they could be marketed a hell of a lot better because the world number... I mean, think of a golf analogy here, Jules. Uh, whoever the world number 200 or 300 golfer is, we know they can play at a pretty yeah. good level, whatever tour they're on in golf. Well, the, the 200, 300 ranked tennis player is someone that is marketable. 
uh, you know, they can actually play the game really well. If you're going to take it to all the regional parts of Australia and your provincial sort of cities, um, you know, if we can't generate a crowd to come along and watch, there's something wrong. So, yeah, I think there's the capacity, though, to produce um, uh, more tournaments here because the expense for our players to go overseas is enormous. And that's why the college pathway now is going to become so attractive because you get an education, you come out a little bit more mature and all your expenses are paid in the US college for four years. I think it'll be more attractive to Aussie players going forward. Yeah, it's certainly got its uh, challenges, Australian tennis. Uh, BP, thanks for your time. Looking forward to the first serve tonight, of course, 8 o'clock on SEN. We'll chat soon. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much, Brett. Uh, great to chat to Brett Phillips. Let's get our last break away. We might read out a few more 40 Wings temper texts. Of course, Andy Marr, Andrew Gay is coming up very shortly. Master Builders Victoria members get access to a wide range of expert advice and support services. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. I love, I love Josh. I love the car. I love our coaches. Um, they've had nothing but success, you know, way more success than I've ever had, you know. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry. Derek, um, you know, I'm, sorry. to finish that, sorry for being emotional. I'm just pissed off about some of the things, you know, that a lot of us try and do just to practice our bodies through just to sleep at night. And for that to be the result of all that effort pisses me off. Pisses a lot of guys off. It's hard knowing what some guys are doing. Like I said, just to practice what they're putting in their body just to sleep at night. Like, just so we could be there for each other. And I wish everybody in that room felt the same way about this place. And as a leader, that pisses me off. From That's extraordinary stuff there. Oh, extraordinary stuff there from Derek Carr. Hey, Rob, when you put the, that means it's finished. So what happened? From Derek Carr, quarterback for the Las Vegas Raiders after their loss to the Indianapolis Colts today. I think if you're a, a fan of the Raiders, you'd love seeing that. The passion and the emotion uh, from Derek Carr. So unbelievable. Lost to the Indianapolis Colts. Jeff Saturday, of course, is the coach. Hired under controversial uh, circumstances, uh, given his lack of a coaching uh, background. But just extraordinary stuff. And to the... To the journo, why are you trying to cut a bloke off when he's crying, for God's sake? Let him speak. Uh, just one here off the tip of text as well. Earlier in the show, we are talking about the, the influence of Matthew Mott and David Sakert, Mike Hussey, Matthew Hayden, all uh, working with other countries during this T20 World Cup. Uh, I like the fact cricket allows coaches to work abroad. We need to throttle back on the parochialism on this. Don't forget, Dean Jones could have coached here, but nobody wanted him. So he went to Pakistan and thrived from Mortimer from Cranbourne North. Great uh, temper text. I'm going to give you a prize there, Mortimer. 18 holes of golf for you and a mate with a cart. Get 18 holes of golf for two with the drinks and cart midweek for just 99 bucks. Visit clubmandalay.com.au. And on the back nine, you can charge your phone with a Signet Boost Power Bank. Valued at 59.95, the Signet Boost Power Bank will keep your phone, tablet, and earbuds powered. 24 hours a day. Thank you, Rod. Uh, coming up on the run home, Andrew Gaze, Andy Marr, ready to go after a massive 
Massive weekend of sport. Rocks and poxes will be coming at you uh, left, right and centre. They'll have Anthony Dowsley on from the Herald Sun, one of the journos that uh, broke the story about uh, four men being arrested in relation to last year's Brownlow medal. Adam Collins will also be on to wrap up the T20 World Cup. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi-finals. all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.